He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, June 7th, and this is the Fistionados Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. You can email at fistionados at yahoo.com. You can follow me on Twitter at fistionadospod. And I am back from vacation. I lost my voice. Pardon me if it is scratchy. I'm getting it back. But I wanted to go ahead and record tonight either way just to get it out because we are going to preview some of the stuff that's happening on June 9th. But let's start with the review. Not a whole lot of action from the past couple weeks. Let's briefly get into it. Before I even get into the results of the fights, I want to say that it's significant that I don't have TV viewership numbers to even talk about here. And for ESPN Plus, soon we will have something approaching these kinds of numbers Nielsen right now, Nielsen ratings don't technically exist yet for OTT products like ESPN Plus or like Netflix, but there are a lot of other interesting ways to gauge viewership. There's a lot of interesting ways to gauge interest on how people are watching these, and I think Nielsen will eventually have to start giving some kind of indication to entertainment reporters and, quite frankly, more importantly, to advertisers as to how many people are actually watching these types of shows. They, Nielsen definitely wants to stay in business, and they will definitely adjust to this somehow. Trust me on that. But we do not have that information now, and... On to the results of the fights. So on Friday, May 25th, we had Naiwe Inoue KO1 over Jamie McDonald for a version of the Bantamweight title. The following day, we had Jerwin and Cajas with a unanimous decision victory over Jonas Sultan. And then Khaled Yafai, KO7 over David Carmona. I'm bad at pronouncing these names. I apologize. All these fights were on ESPN+. My first comments are that apparently Teddy Atlas is not actually banished from the broadcast booth, as he did the Inoue fight from Japan. Um, I don't know how they're going to split up broadcast responsibilities, but the early indication is they will do a version of this for the foreign fights when the A-team is in another city. I'm curious to see what happens uh, when there is not another fight in another, in another city that Top Rank Boxing is doing. I was actually on vacation specifically for both of these fights, so I watched them after the fact, which was interesting. They were, quite frankly, very difficult to find on the ESPN Plus app, but once you found them, I liked how you could watch them and not know immediately the result. I also thought it was very interesting that I ended up watching commercials for both of them. 
I spoke about this a few episodes ago when I talked about the UFC deal for the ESPN Plus app. And there's just some more background on this. I did not attend. I've usually attended the ESPN Upfront in past years. I did not attend it this year in New York. But from what I heard, they did not mention that there would be ads for obvious reasons. They don't want to be broadcasting to the general public that people who are going to pay $4.99 a month for an app will also see ads on the platform. But trust me, everyone in my industry knew it was coming. And what I described to you two episodes ago is actually called programmatic advertising, which is a specific term that most marketers are very well aware of, but it sort of hasn't hit the mainstream yet in a real way because they, for the most part right now, refer to digital ads. Now, I didn't see, for the Inouye fight, I didn't see the ads until about 20 minutes into the broadcast, which was well past the intros, anthems, ring walks in the first round. Obviously, the fight only went one round. But I think it's very significant that they're already on the platform. Um, I will revisit this topic in a major way as we start to get more information as consumers. And then as far as the Ancajas fight goes, it was just sort of treated as a normal fight on ESPN with Brian Kenny subbing for Joe Tessitore on the play-by-play, but everything else felt very normal. Now I have to say, I took advantage of kind of knowing the result, knowing what kind of fight it was, and skipping over the parts where not a lot was happening. I know the fight moved pretty slowly just from paying attention to social media, but the beauty of having an OTT app sometimes is you can just skim over the stuff that you know might not be as interesting. I did not know the results of the undercard fight, and I found it very TV-friendly. And I also liked how there wasn't this pressure to show commercials in between every round. So the viewer definitely got more of a premium cable experience. I also noticed a lot of commercials on the replay for this, usually in bunches of three or four at a time. Quite frankly, I'm going to watch the Crawford Horn fight live, and I'm excited to watch it live and and see how this experience changes, or, or it may not change anything. <clears throat> for the deep dive this week, I wanted to talk about something which I've always assumed most people understand, and maybe this is maybe this is territory most people already know. Uh, but maybe it's not. Maybe some of the people who listen to this podcast don't realize this. I work under the general understanding that the cable companies and the cable industry, and this goes for satellite too, that industry in general is screwing over consumers as much as possible and that people looking, people should naturally be looking for reasons to leave the cable system. And I want to dive into exactly why I think that and why may why it may have affected some of what you've listened to in my earlier shows, especially my last two shows. And then more importantly, I want to get into why the cable companies have disproportionately screwed over fight fans, boxing fans especially, versus the public at large. I want to take a quick look back at the very basics of how this started and then go right into where they've really royally screwed over customers, and that's in pay-per-view. So let's go back quite a ways to, let's start with the 1980s, when boxing was routinely on national television, and it drew huge ratings on regular television. Soon, though, places like HBO started paying huge license fees to bring some of the bigger fights over to quote-unquote pay cable television in an effort to increase their subscriber base. 
And guess what? It worked really, really well. In addition to the movies and other programming that HBO offered, boxing provided a great way to build a healthy subscriber base. As the years went on, Showtime started doing the same thing, and the sport eventually migrated almost exclusively towards the pay, uh, pay cable television. And there was a concept that was introduced called pay-per-view, which, as you all know, it meant that you had to purchase the fight as an additional cost to your cable subscription. Now, there are a lot of effects that this move had in general in the sport. Most notably, it shrank the audience base, etc. I don't want to talk about this right now. Really, what I want to talk about is how the cable companies, along with HBO, saw an opportunity to make large sums of money on the backs of hardcore boxing fans and then for the really big fights on the backs of general sports fans, casual boxing fans, whatever you want to call them. So let's start with pay-per-view, which is really a concept that I have a love-hate relationship with on a lot of levels. We can pick on both HBO and Showtime in how all this is set up. Because both companies, both HBO and Showtime, still to this day receive the bulk of their money from cable companies, or MSOs, which is sort of an outdated term, but that's it's whatever you want to call them. These are this is Spectrum, DirecTV, Verizon Files, Dish Network. You get the picture. It's satellite companies, it's cable companies. So HBO and Showtime will never take a strong stand against them. And you have to understand that these deep relationships are at the root of this. In the 80s and 90s, basically up until HBO Now came into the picture, HBO, where I was employed, and I imagine Showtime was this way as well, they were at the mercy, almost completely at the mercy of these, let's call them for lack of a better term, MSOs. And why am I spending so long on driving this home? Because when you purchase a pay-per-view boxing fight, or quite frankly, any movie, any UFC fight, any WWE event, or back in the day, WWF, whatever it is from your cable company, they're taking somewhere between 30 and 50% of the money that you pay. And maybe back when pay-per-view had just started as an entity, they were truly earning that portion of the take because back in the day, the distribution was just as, if not more important than any other part of the equation. But this is not the case now. And the percentage that they take has barely, if ever, changed over time. In this modern era, most of the cable companies do the bare minimum possible to still usually get, let's call it, somewhere around 30% of the revenue, which means that for the customer, you are likely paying your cable operator somewhere between $20 and $25 per fight for doing almost nothing. It's just a tax that you've paid to your cable companies over the years for being a fan of boxing's biggest fights. Even cable companies who do a ton of marketing for the fight and are getting closer to that 50% range, if you're a hardcore fan and you're going to buy the fight anyways, you're now paying $30 to $40 to your cable company. I mean, I guess you could say at least they're hustling and helping out the fighters get paid a little bit more by making more pay-per-view sales. But... Now, you don't need a cable operator to get the fight. You can get it off of Amazon or PlayStation or Xbox, or you can get it straight from Golden Boy or Top Rank on their websites. There's so many different ways you can get a pay-per-view fight now, but no one, I repeat, no one has dropped the price. 
when my former colleague Mark Taffet announced his new MMA venture, and by the way, best of luck to him in that, one of the stats in the press release said that he did over 190 pay-per-view events for HBO that generated over $3.5 billion. That's billion with a B. And there's a lot of ways to read that. That's a lot of money. But one of the ways to read that is the cable companies during his tenure made over $1.5 billion just to distribute some of these big fights. This system is just too good to be true, and the cable companies are the ones who set that up. So why is that? If you've been listening to this podcast, I've talked about it before quite a bit, but let's get into how this system actually got set up and how they've been screwing you over. And then let's see how it's intertwined with what's happening on DAZN and ESPN Plus right now. So cable companies at their core are distributors. The reason they were so valuable in the 80s and 90s especially is that there was no other way to distribute all of this entertainment. Before the internet, you literally you had a literal cable wire and a cable box, and that was the only way that you could watch any shows that came, you know, besides what came up on your antenna. So during the early days of pay-per-view, this setup might have actually warranted that 30 to 50%. Early pay-per-view fights required a lot of grassroots marketing for a big fight, which cable and satellite companies were set up really well to do. Especially if a pay-per-view fighter had a specific local following, the distributors in that area would really be incentivized to do their equivalent of pounding the pavement. And back in those early days, there wasn't any digital marketing. Marketing for anything back then consisted of print, which is like newspapers, magazines, TV, which is television ads, you see it's commercial breaks on any shows that you're watching, and then out of home, which is like billboards, other kinds of stuff like that. Since the most impactful thing a cable company could do back in the day was use its own television ad inventory, the deals were set up so that they, the cable companies were incentivized to run a certain number of ads against certain types of programming and that justified them getting a larger percentage of the take. And this made sense. I want to emphasize that. This really made sense. Cable companies were using prime ad inventory that they could sell otherwise to show spots for a fight. And the TV ads at the time were the best way of selling the fight. They still do this stuff to this day, and they can do other things too, like when you called a cable company, which back in, in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, early 2000s, like that's something that frequently happened. If you called them for any reason, the first thing you might hear is a message explaining to you exactly how to purchase a fight that was coming up in that evening or in the previous few days you know, leading up to it. If you hit the guide button on your remote or you went to the company's website, there was messaging all over it, you know, all over your TV, all over the website explain to you what a great fight this was and here's how you can order it. So back in the day, when the only way you could get a fight was by going through a satellite or cable company, it all made sense that they were properly incentivized to do this and that they should get a large piece of that pie. But along the way, a lot of stuff changed. First of all, with the internet becoming a huge part of everyone's life, but especially boxing fans, the cable company's role became much less important. Now you start to have other options, both to order a fight, but also to market to fight fans. You didn't need that precious TV inventory as much anymore. 
there were more efficient ways of targeting fans. And this importance has marginally decreased every year to the point now where a lot of the cable companies would rather use targeted, programmatic, digital, or mobile ads than their own TV inventory. They're also, cable companies are owned by very large companies and they're more inclined today to look at pay-per-view as a way to do as little as possible to just get free money. For me personally, it was frustrating to work with some of them on the big fights because a lot of them did very little to nothing to promote the big fights and had they done it, they could have made a big difference, especially as ownership changed hands and some new business analysts came in. They just started looking at this setup as a way to get free money with no reason to contribute. And I don't want to single out all of them for doing that because a lot of them really did good work. Uh, DirecTV is a great example of this. Dish Network also too. The, they did they did a lot of work on some big fights. But just so you're aware, I mean, with DirecTV, like they would usually make into eight figures for a big fight that does over a million buys. And that doesn't even start to mention the crazy fights like Mayweather-Pacquiao, Mayweather-McGregor, where everyone was making money and the big places made out really, really well. But overall, we're now in an age where everyone listening to this podcast should have multiple options to order the fight and probably the most sophisticated ways of marketing the fight to all of you involves a little but not a lot of what I described above at the top. There Now, there's really crazy ways to digitally target fight fans. I mean, you can target fight fans during specific time slots on their mobile device and geo-target them based on exactly where they are. You can look at certain areas of the country. You can, you can do this so much better digitally than you can on television. The cable companies aren't really needed at all right now. If you're Here's an example. Like if you're a UFC fan, you can order the fight off Amazon. You can order whatever your gaming system is. I described it a lot of them above. If you're a UFC Fight Pass, which is their digital OTT product, if you're a subscriber, you can order it off that. And the crazy thing is you don't get a discount for ordering the fight off UFC Fight Pass. The UFC, there is no 30 to 50% going to a cable company. The UFC just keeps that extra 30 to 50%. And they're not unique. In boxing, Golden Boy and Top Rank offer the same option on their websites with the international feed rather than if it's HBO, Lampley announcing it or Showtime, you know, the team there without Bernstein. And they get actually pretty decent numbers doing it for most of the fights. It's just such an awesome system for everybody involved that once the suggested retail price gets set, everyone's loath to change it. I also want to look at another way that cable companies have historically screwed over fight fans. And it's not a pay-per-view tax, but rather more of a consumption tax on media in general, much of which doesn't apply to boxing fans. And this one actually probably screws you over worse. Let's just use HBO as an example, because in the 90s and throughout the 2000s, they were the clear industry leader here. So HBO... During that era, worked in partnership with the cable companies for almost everything. They still do, obviously, as I described above. Back in the late 90s or 2000s, if you wanted to watch the highest level boxing or Sopranos or whatever it was for that matter, you first had to subscribe to a cable or get a satellite TV subscription. 
after that, you needed to buy a pretty significant package on your cable subscription, and then the very last add-ons were HBO, and then maybe Showtime. You'd probably have to talk to an HBO exec from that time who dealt with the cable companies to know why that's the case. I'm pretty sure to their credit, HBO fought the system hard because they obviously wanted to make it easier for people to subscribe to to HBO. But the bottom line is that fight fans were really the ones who got screwed here. Just maybe even a few years earlier, fight fans were watching all the best fights on network TV with an antenna. And now they had to buy layers of a cable package, including a bunch of channels they probably didn't care about at all, just to get the fights they wanted to see. And as time went on, the world just kept getting more and more expensive. Once you start hitting a certain point, especially after 2010, 2011, everything really started to feel unsustainable. By this point, to get internet, a robust cable package where you got all the shows that your family or friends wanted to see, what you know, if you have roommates or whatever, you're well into $150 to $200 a month. I mean, personally, I was getting cable when I lived in New York, and I was paying close to $220 a month for everything that I needed. And this isn't even counting the pay-per-views I purchased. Or even worse, if you're a boxing fan and a fan of another sport, like let's say soccer or the UFC, you might have even had another layer of a sports package. And like I said on my last podcast, your budget alone, I know most people don't necessarily, don't necessarily think about it this way, but if you thought about your budget alone just for boxing, it could easily be $1,000 if you watched, if you got HBO and Showtime and watched three or four pay-per-view fights a year, but that's before you factor in the part where you needed to already get a pretty solid TV package that could be costing you well over $100 and in some cases $200 a month. You could legitimately be spending $1,600, $1,700, even $2,000 on getting your cable TV package. That's not even counting your internet before you started spending that other $1,000 on being a boxing fan. And if you're like me and some others, you'll, you'll want to watch MMA too. And that might require a different cable package and more dollars spent on pay-per-view. So not only have they been screwing you over on pay-per-view, but these companies have also historically forced you to get a bunch of channels that you may not have wanted just to put you in a position to buy channels showing the fights that you want. That's a hell of a tax to pay to watch boxing. And one more thing I want to emphasize here, all of these cable companies had to show huge profits. So in addition to HBO needing to make a big profit, your cable provider, let's just say in this case, let's use the example of Comcast, also needed to make a big profit. And Comcast made so much money that when it became obvious, to use a cliche, content is king, they just solved the problem because they're a distributor and they're not actually making content. They solved the problem by buying NBC Universal. That's how much money they made. In the OTT world, you cut out a huge layer of this. All you need is Apple TV or Google Chrome or whatever, whatever your device is to stream ESPN Plus for the Crawford Horn fight. Neither Apple nor Google is going to charge you a monthly fee to use those products. So after that one upfront cost, the only monthly fee you pay is straight to the content provider, not to the distributor. But also, I want to tie 
everything together here and look at the issue holistically, especially with regards to my last two podcasts. The way most people have been talking about the new streaming services for boxing is, oh God, I don't want to pay more than I'm already paying. Why am I doing this? To which I've responded, you know, the cable companies are the ones screwing you over and not the places that offer boxing. Don't get mad at HBO and Showtime, you know, because back in the day, your cable and internet bill was $125 or $150 or whatever before you even got the chance to add them on. Get mad at the system that brought you that. Don't get mad at any promotional company for charging you 70 bucks, 80 bucks, 100 bucks to watch a pay-per-view fight. Well, maybe get a little bit mad at them. A little bit of that's their fault. Get mad at the cable companies that are making the same percentage they've always made in this day and age for really no reason. Cord cutters have changed this system forever. They want to control your entertainment options And when I say they, I mean the new distribution centers. They want to control your entertainment options, and they want to learn what you watch, not charge you monthly fees for ridiculous things like having an extra cable box or a DVR in your bedroom in addition to your living room. In fact, it's really been cord cutters that have forced the cable companies to offer options like skinny bundles that may have actually stabilized your cable costs. There was a moment in time when ESPN was in over 100 million homes and saw no sign of declining, but now it's in less than 90 million homes, and they're simply like trying to stop the bleeding. That's why you're even seeing ESPN+. And if you're a cable subscriber, that bleeding affects you greatly because for the cable companies to continue to make money as they lose subscribers, they need to squeeze more and more money out of each subscriber. That means as others cut the cord, and until you actually cut the cord, your life is only bound to get worse, which is really why I think this is a new day and age for boxing fans. I beat this into the ground, but if you were paying over $200 a month for internet and cable each month like I was, cut the cord. Just get internet and pay for whatever, Hulu, YouTube TV, FUBU TV, whatever it is, it's 40 bucks a month. You can get ESPN this way and then pay $4.99 for the ESPN Plus app, $15 for Showtime, and get DAZN or whatever it costs when it comes out. HBO is trickier because they don't yet stream the fights live on HBO Now, but trust me, if they want to remain part of big-time boxing, they're going to have to. And as I mentioned in the last episode, DAZN could have a huge impact on several things, including the pay-per-view market. Part of the reason that Fights like Ward Kovalev 1 and 2, Triple G Jacobs, Triple G Lemieux were on pay-per-view is because HBO's boxing budget has declined. So if you're a hardcore fan, you're paying for those fights on pay-per-view even though you already subscribe to HBO. A major part of DAZN's success hinges on Eddie Hearn's ability to take fights like those and bring them to you as part of your monthly subscription in what he would call his four massive fights over the course of the year. This could eliminate the pay-per-view market for any fight that would normally sell between 150,000 and maybe even as much as 500,000 units sold. Now, I think the revenue out there for fights that would do over a million buys is just way too high. And even if DAZN is really successful, it'll never take away those fights. But even if DAZN is really successful, This could incentivize other platforms like ESPN to charge less for pay-per-view or, more importantly, to move those fights to ESPN+. And we've already started to see encouraging signs. 
there have already been rumors that the Pacquiao-Matisse fight is going to ESPN+, and that would be great. That's a classic example of a fight that's not going to do over 200,000 pay-per-view buys, even with ESPN sort of pushing it hard with a marketing machine. But on ESPN+, Plus, as part of your $4.99 subscription, that makes a lot of sense. I know that's not done yet, but that's, that's the rumor, and that's exciting. So on that note, let's transition to the preview section. And before that, you know, quick news and note, I'm not going to touch on what's happening right now between Canelo and Triple G until everything's sorted out. I've learned with these things that nothing is final until the contracts are signed. As of me recording right now, it feels like Canelo is going to fight Danny Jacobs on HBO pay-per-view. But look, who knows? So in terms of a preview on June 9th, we've got some nice fights. There's obviously the the Crawford-Horn fight on ESPN+, which I plan on watching live. Right now, Crawford's a 7-8 to 1 favorite, something like that. And I think it's a fight that's actually pretty meaningful in a lot of ways. This is Crawford's chance to have an immediate impact at a weight class where there are a lot of meaningful fights for him if he wins. Obviously, it still requires some of those fighters at Showtime to eventually move to other platforms for him to get a lot of those fights. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because Horn might be able to make this a pretty good scrap if he can control the narrative. Crawford has had fights in the past where he's been a slow starter. He's maybe been willing to lose a couple early rounds. And Horn might be tough enough to win some of those early rounds and then make it an ugly scrap late. That could happen, or Crawford could just completely outclass him and blow it out. It makes for a real interesting fight either way. And then there are the fights on Showtime. Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Morris are fighting each other again for Santa Cruz's featherweight title. Santa Cruz is about a 4-5-1 to one favorite, depending on where you look. And I think it, it was an entertaining first fight and should be a good second fight. Jermell Charlo is also on the card fighting against Austin Trout. Charlo's like a 9-10-1 or 10 to one favorite. And Showtime has not really matched up either of the Charlos that tough recently. I think the odds on this fight, though, may not fully represent how tough the fight might actually be. If it was a main event, I think there'd be a lot to criticize here. But as an undercard fight, I'm totally okay with it. I think it's a good fight. And then credit Showtime for continuing to use YouTube and Facebook to show some of these European fights. They're showing the Tyson Fury fight because he's really a relevant figure in the heavyweight division. But honestly, Fury's a 100-to-1 favorite. I don't have any intention of watching that fight or any fights like that, quite frankly. So I'll check in on social media and I'll find out whether he won by unanimous decision or KO or had a complete meltdown or whatever it is. Showtime also has a card on June 16th where Errol Spence is fighting Carlos Ocampo. And then Danny Roman is fighting Moises Flores on the undercard. There are no odds out yet on either fight, which, as I've said in the past, that speaks for itself. I love watching Errol Spence fight. It does not look like it's going to be a competitive fight, though. And I think the takeaway here is that assuming Spence wins, let's really take a hard look at who he's fighting next. I covered that on one of the first episodes I did. I think his career is fascinating. That's a big question for Al Heyman. It's a big question on show, for Showtime, The Zone, Eddie Hearn, however this is going to turn out. More on that later, though. For right now... We're back in the 30-minute range, finally. I'm I'm out of those longer deep-dive podcasts. Enjoy the fights this weekend. I'll be back with you guys in two weeks, and I don't know what we're going to talk about. I 
want to talk about HBO and Showtime and what they're doing, I want to do a much deeper dive, not into the theoretical part of DAZN, but into actually who you're going to see fight and what they should be doing and how they should be marketing. One of the biggest things I did not address last week with DAZN is what kind of brand campaign is necessary to introduce an OTT platform like that, an OTT channel like that into the United States at a time when no one besides boxing fans, and let's be honest, most boxing fans don't know what it is at all. You could be looking into tens, 20, 30, 40, even $50 million for something like that. That could get really expensive. I think it's great for the sport of boxing to be in early on that kind of stuff. It's something I mentioned, actually, I've been tweeting about it. In the build-up to the Crawford Horn fight, after, I believe it was game two of the NBA Finals on ABC, the post-game show on ABC was actually on the crawl, had a lot of information for Crawford Horn. They, they really promoted it a lot. Now, that's not... You can that that's a version of marketing. That's sort of on-air marketing is what they call it. But stuff like that only happens because ESPN is committed to the ESPN Plus platform. That's not like a throw-in. Like that's a big deal. It's not a throw-in for Bob Arum and Top Rank. You know, I know Top Rank has focused on how ESPN can can market the fights and. I feel like I've actually really felt the presence of the fight on ESPN so far or the ESPN family of networks, let's call it so far. They had a great, uh, I think it was an hour long show. Uh, I mean, it's Teddy Atlas. So I don't know how everybody feels about him, but it was, a, it, you know, it's a great to have an hour long piece on ESPN two on Terrence Crawford. I think they've done their part. And I'm excited to see, I'm recording on Thursday, I'm really excited to see what they're doing on Friday and Saturday, especially to drive viewership there. But I feel like they've, they've done the push on their part so far. And I think fighters like, I know Terrence Crawford, what I have heard is that he's making a career high payday. I am sure ESPN Plus is using this to build their subscriber base as much as possible. They are trying to get hardcore boxing fans to sign up. That's why they're doing this. So good on them. And, and I, hope, I hope a lot of people watch it. I'm very interested in watching it live. And I think it's a really good fight to start out there. And hopefully they do it again for the Pacquiao fight. But anyways, enjoy it this weekend. I'll be back in two weeks. And we'll have, we'll have a lot more to talk about by then. I didn't even get into the WWE deal and, and, and some of that other stuff. The machinations of how that deal happened and what it meant for the UFC and ultimately what it's going to mean for boxing. Cause I think there's a lot of effects there too, but I'm going to stop talking right now. I I'm already, I went back down to the 30 minute mark and I'm already somewhere over 34 because I've been babbling on at the end here. Have a great weekend. Have a great next two weeks. Talk to you guys later. Did you get what you was looking for?